body was gone. We hit us as heavy as lead. But we never get up to the cars and bring the break. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of God's Own Scale podcast. Today's guest is Emmy Award winning documentary filmmaker Mark Fastoso. Mark is a wargamer, most likely familiar to many through his involvement in Little Wars TV and his wargames rules, Fireball Forward, Ruthless and others. He is a great guest and we wander down many different avenues during our chat and I'm sure you'll enjoy what Mark has to say about the hobby. A quick thank you to those of you who have reached out to me since my return to the microphone. It's been most humbling to hear that you're pleased it's back and that you've enjoyed the two episodes released so far. Lots more to come. Episode 56 is already in the can and should be out around mid-June. I had a great time at Partizan last weekend. As per usual, it was a wash with stunning demonstration games from the great and good of the hobby. Simon Miller's Ipsus and the McPherson's Ridge game sponsored by First Core were two absolute standouts for me. But I had two personal favourites which I am awarding uh, a God's Own Scale Medal of Honour to. Mark Backhouse's Can I wins the Gold Medal of Honour. Mark has been onto the show a couple of times before talking about his rules, Strength of Honour. And I'm sure many of you will have seen pictures of his game as it won Best 6mm game at Salute a few weeks ago and I'm saying 6 mil in quotation marks because it was actually in 2 mil. In the flesh it's simply stunning. Everything about the game from the terrain to the figures to the overall presentation uh, was uh, was wonderful and the pictures just do not do the game justice. It has to be seen to be believed. I may be prone to the odd moment of hyperbole but for me this game is one of the standout moments in 35 years in the hobby. And it's certainly in the top five games I have ever seen at a show. It is that good. So well done, Mark and team. The Silver Award goes to another game that maybe didn't draw the accolades reserved for the usual recipients. But Gary Wills' presentation of the Battle of Castiglione, I hope I've said that right, using DBM in 15mm gets the Silver Medal. First of all, DBN intrigues me, and I have been working on my own little DBN project as a sideline for a while, and maybe more of that at a later time. But again, similar to Mark, the overall presentation just clicked with me as to how uh, to present a game at a show with lots of information about the game made available to the observer, and demonstrating that there are many ways to present large-scale battles without breaking the bank. I'm gutted I didn't get around to talking to Gary as he was deep in conversation each time I passed the game. But well done, mate. It was a marvellous effort. Gary does have his own YouTube channel uh, and one of the episodes talks about the Castiglione game. But I'll put a link up in the show notes and you can check that out. Spending was limited to several bags of MDF bases for various projects that I have on the go. Some brushes from ABC which worked out at over a pound per brush can. You'll be most impressed. And uh, I also picked up the Korean War supplement for Blitzkrieg Commander. Chatting to Leon at Pendraken, there's lots more to come to support the Korean War range. And I must say, seeing that Little Wars TV are about to release a Korean War episode, plus this supplement and reading Max Hastings' book on the war, has me intrigued and contemplating yet another new period. But more of that at the end of the show where I'll give my own hobby update. Okay, that's enough of me waffling on. You're not here to listen to me. 
you're here for the headline guest, Mark Vastoso. So, let's talk about wargaming. You just have to bear with my Heath Robinson tactics uh, to get this podcast going. But uh... Okay, welcome to episode 53 of God's Own Scale podcast. And I am honoured, pleased, excited, all of those kind of words, to have somebody else from across the other side of the pond to me. And it's, it becomes quite a habit uh, for me to speak to people from America. I love America. It's no, uh, it's no <laughs> secret. But I've got a genuine, a genuine filmmaker, producer, award-winning filmmaker at that. I've got Mr. Mark Fastoso with me. Hi, Mark. How are you? It's great to be here, Sean. I am super excited to be on your podcast. <laughs> and, you're, uh, you're, you're too generous. So, well, <laughs> hey, and I'm glad you're back with us. You know, the world is a much better place with you in it, Sean. So, so, so kind of you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, Mark, um, I, we've we've spoken off air, but um, I became aware of your work through Little Wars TV, um, mm-hmm. who you, you're quite well associated with um, over in the States. And I know that uh, you've you've put a few videos out through them and uh, through Mark's Games Room, and we're going to go on to talk about the launch of your own channel, which is incredibly exciting. Um, yeah. I know you seem it looks like you're putting a lot of work into that. Oh my God, we're just I I barely sleep these days getting ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, if it's if your previous videos are anything to go by, it's going to be absolutely spectacular. And no pressure because you are a professional <laughs> film producer that <laughs> we're going to expect full hollywood glitz i think that's, All right, that's yeah. what we're looking for well we got my first video we got a really great personality he's not a movie star but he's pretty close so yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that yeah okay excited. cool yeah i've got a feeling i know who that's going to be actually i've been seeing yeah. something on social media but that's that's yeah. going to be really interesting um, okay, Mark, so uh, welcome to the podcast. As, uh, again, I mentioned in the preamble, um, I'm swapping things up a little bit on how we do the the tired old introduction of, right. uh, of guests where we don't want to talk about flicking marbles or uh, fixed soldiers <laughs> in, the, in 1975. We want to sort of get to the real meat and bones of, of what yeah. wargaming means to you. Uh, so it's a new... Um, it's a new section called the first, the last, and everything. Mm-hmm. I've, I've just released an episode um, where I speak to the guys who organise Partizan, which is one of the big shows in the UK. Right, right. Um, and I realise I've stolen uh, on that episode. I've stolen uh, uh, the title of the introduction from Ken Riley, the uh, Yorkshire gamer. So this is a public apology <laughs> to Ken because I, I called it Desert Island Wargaming, and that's something he right. came up with. But it, my adult brain, uh, my mid-50s adult brain, tells me that uh, I, need, I need to get out there. So we're going over to first, last, and everything Wargame. So this is your first Wargame, the last Wargame that you ever played, and the Wargame that means everything to you whether that be because of who you played it with, where you played it, what it was, what the subject was. But that one that you think is going to stick with you now through the rest of your born days. 
So, so let's wow. start. I know, wow. I know. Big stuff. Big stuff. That's huge. Big All right, so first war game. Yeah. Right, first war game, I'm going to say it was a board game. It was the game Africa Core by Avalon Hill, right? I mean, and again, 1970 or 8, 9, I don't know, <laughs> kid. And all I knew about games was like Monopoly, Shoots and Ladders, right? And then I saw this game in a store called Africa Core, and at that was the point I was learning about World War II and Rommel. And I just, my mind was, I couldn't understand how they could take Africa Court and make a game. I'm like, what was it? I mean, I just, I, I was like dragging my mom to get me that. Yeah. I don't, I need to know what it is, right? And it's, that has just stuck with me, you know? Uh, so that was my first war game. First miniatures war game was a World War One naval game that these guys I met put on. I couldn't even tell you what the rules were, but I was just, you know, loving it. Um, Last how, old, how old would you have been around about, about that time? Twelve. Twelve, okay. About twelve, yeah. like sixth grade. I'd written a, a report about Rommel. You know, like a lot of people, he's just I was fascinated by a German general in the desert. You know, um, what's so that all about? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, what's it all about? Like, oh my god! And that was also the time, and not to go too far off of it, but you know, back then everyone that was an adult that I knew was a World War II veteran. And World War II was so close. You know, it was yeah. just, you met someone and it was like, I would just say, what did you do, right? And so World War II was just everywhere and, um, you know, I couldn't get away from it. Uh, and I think that's what pushed me into gaming, was just yeah. these people I knew for sure. Um, so if you fast forward, you know, 40 plus years, <laughs> My last war game. Here we are. Here we are. My last war game was uh, the operational Vicksburg campaign game that Greg Wagman developed. Um, I guess he's doing it on Patreon, but they went to Vicksburg on a trip, and I was lucky enough to kind of tag along with them. And he's in this travel game, Vicksburg. We spent the whole day at Vicksburg, at the park, seeing the Mississippi River, the fortifications. It was mind-blowing. Um, it was my first time in a uh, Western American Civil War battlefield park, right? I've done all the Eastern ones, and uh, Vicksburg was, it's amazing. It reminded me the most of Verdun, actually. Wow. When you go to Verdun and you see the rolling hills from the artillery and the remnants of the trenches, that's what Vicksburg was like. You could still see the approach trenches, a lot of the rifle pits, this crazy terrain, the bases of these forts. And they had markers where the Union regiments, the closest they had got, like, the, you know, and they got stopped. And you're just yeah. seeing like, oh, my God, they're like 50 feet away, hunkered down, just getting shot at. It, it was it was wow. really, really incredible. So if you get in the States, go to Vicksburg. Um but that evening, we were staying at this bed and breakfast um, that still had two cannonballs in the wall from oh, when the Union, goodness. the Union Navy had shelled the place and they had kept wow. it, you know, for yeah. people like me, I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, at that evening, uh, Greg broke out his travel operational Vicksburg game and Miles Reedy and I played it. And it was awesome. I mean. It doesn't get any better than that for me, right? To go to the ground, to have this, ex this experience seeing it, walking it, with, and we had this great guide with us, you know, and then going back at night 
into this awesome place that was around at the time of the battle, sitting out in the veranda, having a mint julep and playing this incredible game. It was, it was great. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, you know, you talk about games, I'll remember, I'll remember that game. That's yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. Well, um, I know it's slightly dark, I haven't got the light in my room, but I'm turning a very <laughs> pale shade of green here at the thought of uh, yeah. that, because that that, that is, well, it's, it's definitely a bucket trip list for me to get out and see the eastern battlefields. Yeah. Whether I get out to the west, I don't know, but uh, that sounds absolutely incredible. And I've tracked... Um, the bits that Greg has released around that travel game uh, for Vicksburg. So uh, I can't wait to see that. I won't ask you for the outcome uh, because that'd be, that'd be a spoiler. Right. Okay. It was great. It was a good time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, as battlefield, I think we're going to talk later, you know, about my channel, but battlefields, I think they play a big part in when I can game because there's nothing better than walking the ground. There's yeah. nothing better to get a sense of, oh, this is what, this is part of the challenge. I wrote a scenario once for Fireball Forward uh, in Normandy because I have a friend, he's a, he's a Brit, and he has this property in Normandy near the Blue Coat Battlefield. Yeah. And uh, he has an extra house and we'll rent it, and, you know, it's a great time. So the 9th SS Panzer Division launched the uh, engineer, combat engineer battalion launched this counterattack as the Brits were trying to come over this ridge. And I got a really detailed, one of those detailed French blue maps, and I had all the elevations and the roads, and I was like, oh, I, I got this. I was going to be such an accurate scenario. We wrote it, and the idea is we go there, and then we walk the ground, and then we play the scenario. Yeah. But one thing I couldn't figure out, right, it was that the SS came over this ridge and they charged down into the Brits who had a little um, bridgehead over this bridge at a farm. And I'm looking at the map and I'm like, how could they have covered this open space and not just been murdered? Yeah. But they weren't. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe they use smoke. I'm not, you know, the Brits weren't awake. I don't know. But throughout the scenario, we go there and all of the roads that lead from that ridge to that farm are sunken over six feet. Wow. And the map didn't show that at all. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. now I get it. Now yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Map, maps, obviously, by the very nature being two-dimensional, right. will not show those humps, those hollows. Yeah. Um, a six-foot sunken road. Yeah, it's to get out and get your feet on the ground of where these people fought is... Um, well, it adds that third dimension without, uh, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, so I go with that. Yeah. So, so that was your first. That was your last. What would you call your everything oh. war game? I thought a lot about this. You know, you sent me these questions, and I thought a lot about it. And I have to say, I think it like changes as I change. Yeah. Right. And I think back, um, like when I was eighteen, we played. Uh, Waterloo uh, using Napoleon's battles and there was a, a magazine called The General which was the Avalon yes. Hill magazine and my friend wrote our game up as a replay and they published it and at the time, even though I lost as Napoleon I was like oh my god it was great you know well you didn't do worse uh, I didn't do worse I didn't do worse <laughs> but you know I'm still in there yeah yeah and and, and I I think the the one right now that sticks with me 
is going to be the one, and I didn't play it, but I organized it and I filmed it. It's like the first big game we're going to have on my channel, which was uh, when Easy Company attacked into Carantan. Right there's the scene where they're going in, the machine guns opens up, and some of the guys get cut off. They're trying to fight their way in. We did that because I made friends with the son of George Luz, who's one of the band of brothers. He's the comedian. If you watch the show in the first episode, the guy imitates an officer to get Sobel to cut the fence. Right, that's George Luz. Well, it turns out. George Luz was born. I'm just it, sorry, but I'm just recalling that exact scene. Oh, <laughs> it, it still tickles me. It still awesome. tickles me. Yeah, it's great. And yeah. and uh, I made friends with his son because they were in, lived in the town next to where I grew up. Okay. And um, anyways, I convinced them to come to my house and to my game room down here and play that game and. It wasn't just like, hey, isn't this a cool thing for the channel? What me and my friends realized is um, gaming can do a lot of things. You can understand history. You can have an interesting game for your head to figure out. You can paint miniatures. You can explore battlefields. But when I played this game, and this is why it's going to stick with me, what we realized what we were doing is we were having a living memorial because we all got together to think about his dad speak his dad's name, talk about what they did, and, and remember him. And I realized, wow, wargaming can even do that. And that's at this age, when I'm 55, that is going to stick with me for a long time. You know? Wow. Uh, yeah, that's... Um, the Band of Brothers show uh, has been... Um, pr well... Cl it's close with the Ken Burns Civil War documentary, but I've watched right. that a hell of a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's, there's great tracks of it that you know I can remember yeah. almost word for word. And and that scene that you've just described for me, where um, he, he gets the David Schwimmer character into into some trouble, right. by, yeah, <laughs> and he's not going the wrong way or, or, or taking a, a, a wrong route, but that is something. And oh gosh, yeah, that must have been an incredible experience. Uh, uh, had he any experience of wargaming? Was he aware of, of what he no, was? No, and that's what's great. No, I just, you know, I met him. He's kind of retired now. He's in his mid-60s. He's, he's, but he's like his dad. He's just a fun-loving, you know, Portuguese-American, which is like all my friends that I grew up with were like that. So it was right. very familiar. Like when we yeah. met, we were very familiar. And um, he's like, well, you love history? And I was like, yeah. And he gives talks about his dad. And I said, hey, I'm going to try this channel. I'd love for you to come down and do this with me and we can do something about your dad. He goes, sure. So he came down and he had never played games before. I picked a game that I felt was really easy for someone who'd never played. Mm -hmm. And uh, it worked really well. He had a really fun time. And then at the end, I didn't even prompt him. At the end, he started talking about what the experience was like for gaming and wow. what he thought it could do. And I was like, thanks, George. So... It, it, that one is really I can't see anything topping that for me. No, no. I mean, uh, I, however many guests I get onto this show post this interview, Mark, I'm not yeah. sure many are going to be able to top that. <laughs> uh, well, that comes. That, to, is, that was pretty incredible. Yeah, we'll revisit that because part of that is comes from my background of being a t TV producer. Yeah. 
you know, meet, meeting people who I think are interesting and have really interesting things to say and then convincing them to work with me. Yeah. yeah. That's a bit what I'm doing, really. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. You are. <laughs> Not quite on the same level, I appreciate, but you know. Uh, that's that's great. Well, thank thanks for that. Yeah, that is something else, really is. Um, so that that was a World War Two war game uh, that yeah. you played, um, and I think was it ten years ago, a bit longer, that uh, you authored a set of war, World War Two. Right, Fireball Forward. I mean, I don't even remember. It goes back into the endless his times of history because. We kind of started messing with it and uh, playing with it, and then I got into something else. Have you ever heard of the rules? Check your six. I helped Scott Fisher write that, and then we kind of came back to Fireball Forward and kept developing it. Yeah, I think we maybe put it out ten years ago, but I've probably been working on it for fifteen years. I don't know. Um, Fireball Forward's been a really interesting journey uh, for me. Um, it came about because we were playing kind of skirmish level games, kind of like the chain of command level game before there was chain of command. I think we were playing um, Ark of Fire, which came out of Battleground. And anyways, we loved it, but it would take us two, three hour sessions to finish a game. Yeah. So we'd start on a Thursday night, play till 10, come back next Thursday. And, you know, if you're a bachelor... That's all right. That's you know, fine. That's, that's good. But <laughs> yeah. then, you know, we all started getting married and, mm. you know, kids and things. And I, we just were like, you know, this isn't working yeah. anymore. It's not working. What, you know, and then, you know, we played those games for a while. And a friend of mine, Jonathan Miller, a good friend, he said, we got to do something else. And he's a brilliant scientist. And I'm this, like, you know, narrative guy. So we worked together and he looked at Crossfire, um, which was a fast game and very, very different in its philosophy of a game. And uh, But it hadn't really been finished. They never did vehicles and stuff for it. And so he was talking about that and we just got together and we, it was, we just had a great time. Him coming at it with kind of that math science angle and me like the narrative angle, just to develop a game that was fast, it was fresh. And we could finish in an evening to completion. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of how it came about. I, I brought it to a convention uh, in the States, Historicon, I think, at one point, before it was anything. I don't even know. That's how the name came. They, they, I needed to put a name to it so they could put it in the program. I didn't have a name. And I was like, I don't want to give it a name until I talked to Jonathan. So there was this crazy old movie from like 1972 called Fireball Forward with Ben Gazzara. <laughs> And uh, it was really terrible, and I was like, I'm just going to call it that. And, <laughs> so that's how the name came. But it's like, um, well, that, anyway, comes I, up on, that comes up on Google search. It does. When, yeah. I'm, when I was looking around the rules a few weeks ago, actually. So it's funny, yeah. I remember the scene in the movie, like, Ben Gazzara takes over it's like a battalion or a company or something, and they're called Easy. And it was easy forward, and they but they weren't doing well. He takes over and he goes, "This isn't easy forward." And he kicks the sign over. And he goes, "It's fireball forward." And I was like, "All right, yeah." There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so w were they your first published rules then, Mark? I think yeah, it was. I mean, with I your name on the yeah. with my name, yeah. Like, if you look and like check your six and things like that, I'm inside as mm. kind of helping. But yeah, fireball forward was my first set of rules and you know it was like a big lift 
um world war ii rules is hard right because it's <laughs> yeah. you know there's planes and there's tanks and there's not only tanks there's a million tanks and gamers yeah. want every flavor of tank articulated and all that kind of artillery and blah 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 and my goal is to have just the infantry rules be less than 10 pages and i think we got that but then you know you got to add other things so we that's why we did it programmed rules like the old squad leader just read x amount of pages play these games keep going forward and uh you know the people that play it seem to really love it and um hopefully more and more people will enjoy it um we also p- developed it because some of my friends had been playing uh what's that flames of war and the the kind of the flavor went out of the gum you know they just played it from they had all these minis and they were like we got all these figures and tanks but we don't like the game anymore and i was like well how about this we can use the same basing for this game and so yeah, yeah. now you have two sets of rules to to use your stuff um i, I saw um it may have been a, a podcast that you're on previously but um something that sort of for me encapsulated what you you were doing with fireball forward and subsequent rule sets was um where you said if, if you want to change a rule you've got to be able to talk about it in one sentence yes right which i that, thought was brilliant yeah yeah i you know in developing fireball forward it was, it was basically you know me and jonathan but i have my group that i game with and we were playing with, with them and developing the rules and uh you know, we'd come up against something and they would be like, oh, well, you, all you have to say is blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, I'm not writing that rule. And I was like, if it's one sentence, it can be remembered more easily. And so I kept forced everyone to. And the other thing people kept wanting to do is we just add plus three to the dice or something. And I was like, oh, no, please. I don't want to have, a you know, five pages of modifiers you got to go through. Yes, yeah. So we came up with that rule, and it helped keep us all disciplined in making the rules not get out of control. Because, of course, the thing with, and you've talked about the complexity there of the war, but the war in 1939 was very different to the war in 1945. Yeah. The war in the East was very different to the war in the yeah. West as it was in right. the Far East. Yeah. Um, and you've got air, sea, land, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, millions of tanks, as you've said, millions of small right. arms. It's <laughs> it's an incredibly complex period. And yet we do have, pro- well, possibly as many sets of World War II rule sets as there are figures out there. Uh, everybody yeah. seems yeah. to have a set of World War II rules set right. in them, don't they? Yeah. Um, so wh- what would you say is the USP, the unique selling point for Fireball Forward? Unique selling point, A, is the games are going to finish in an evening. Which is great. If you buy the scenario books, uh, Greg from Little Wars and um, Tony Morano, they had me cornered in a car in the Gettysburg, Vicksburg trip. And they were like, all right, you got to tell us the truth now. How many times did you play test all of your fireball scenarios? And I was like, minimum two to three. Because he goes, they're very well balanced, yeah. right? So yeah, when you yeah. play them, they always come down to the end, and that's, uh, you know, that's really important to us. Um, so, uh, so I think it's that it's a unique system. It's once you kind of get your head around it, it's very open. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's very free to do what you want. You kind of make your tactics as you go. Um, and if the difference between 
in the rules between fighting the Germans or fighting the Japanese is kind of one rule. The Japanese use this bonsai thing, right, of course, because we just decided what makes the Japanese different. And, well, they just had these different tactics. So it's this one rule. But when you play it, it feels like you're in a different part of the world playing a different game. So, you know, you don't have to read a whole nother set of rule rule books to do it. It it can feel sometimes that you've talked there about each scenario has been played through probably two or three times. It can sometimes feel like that's probably two or three times more than most. Yeah. Yeah. Play through their scenarios. Or people that will buy the game. Yeah. Yeah, because people will uh, write uh, a scenario book or supplement and you think, I'm not quite sure people have got the, the, the authors have got the balance right here. Because there is a, there's a, there's a difference, isn't there, between having a simulation of the real thing and a game. Um, I I always fall on the side of the game and you want to think that if I, play well then i've got a good chance to win despite yes. what may have happened realistically because it's got to be fun hasn't it yeah it's, it's got to be, be we, we've got to enjoy it and yeah we're going to pay due respect and, and deference to to what actually happened but we are talking about toy soldiers and dice yeah. and model scenery so uh it's it's great that um uh, Greg and uh, Tony have both came up with that. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. This is balanced. This is a balanced thing. And I thought what was interesting, actually, and, and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes, was um, what Greg and Tony did with the comparison between Fireball Forward and Crossfire. Uh-huh. Crossfire, I'm aware of Crossfire. I've never played it. I'm aware it's yeah. it's always your turn or you know, it's a continual thing until you're interrupted. Right. Um, I'm aware of the concept, but never played it. But I thought I thought that was interesting how they took that foy scenario and zoomed out from that original foy scenario they did with Chain of Command. Um, that that must have been quite pleasing for you, I guess, to see that yeah. played out. It, yeah, for sure, especially since they made the connection to Crossfire, which was kind of where we got our seeds of Fireball Forward from. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, hopefully people see the beauty in Fireball Forward. Um, that the the fun is really why our guys want to play these scenarios two or three times. If they yeah. weren't fun, they wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah. you know, I, I tell my friends, uh, you know, that's the number one thing I look for when I play a game first time. Did I just have fun? I don't care if I think the rules were right or the Sherman shouldn't shoot that way or, you know, they didn't model an MG42 correctly or whatever. It's if I had fun, then I'll keep coming back and other people will. Yeah. So I mean. I, I think when people get into Fireball, it's really fun and well-balanced. And, you know, you might like Crossfire. You might like Chain of Command as well. But um, I think they all have fun in different ways. So I'm glad to be kind of stacked up with these other set of rules. Yeah, you're in good company. Right, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. Um, and uh, you've, you've touched on it already, but one thing that can often put people off a new rule set or is one of the most often asked questions is do I need to rebase my figures specifically and that's not the case is it with Fireball 4? No, Fireball 4 there's no basing restriction you know and we have a squad 
you know, when we did it, we have it's a base and we have three figures on it. And the reason we put three figures is an homage to Squad Leader, which in the yeah. counter had three figures, right? Yeah, the so, top down figure, yeah. Right. Yeah. So you just, some figures are squads, some are weapons teams, some are leaders, and then there's vehicles. And yeah. That's all that matters. So, yeah, you know, and we did that on purpose because we figured a lot of people have Flames of War stuff and you just use it straight over. And the other thing I think that strikes me is that uh, you, you said you, you've probably been developing this for about 15 years, been published for around 10 years. That's some longevity for a set of war games yeah. rules, isn't it? Yeah, and my, my guys here, man, they're still going strong. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're just like, you know. Can't get enough. He's doing France 40, you know, be, because it's also the way we do it is A, we know that the games are going to be fun and that we're really committed to getting these balanced, tight scenarios. Right? Oh, I almost won. Or, you know. Um, but it's a way for them to kind of be historians. Yeah. Because we don't just try to do something generic, right? Like I was telling you, I wrote that scenario near Operation Blue Coat, right? It's like yeah. we get into the nitty-gritty and the guys really love that, you know? So they will look for those after-action reports, They'll look for the maps that get them down as close as they can or not walk the ground. They look for personal memoirs to get stuff. And then they, just on a personal level, get a lot of reward out of that. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's more than just, hey, I'm going to put this game on. It's I'm going to learn about, you know, Operation Blue Coat, who's one of my friends. I, you know, frankly, OK, I'm an American. I didn't know much about it because it's all about Cobra, right? The Cobra yes, was yeah, all yeah, about yeah. Cobra. And he was like, Blue Coat. And I was like, Blue Coat? What the heck is that? And then we went over there. We spent several days walking the ground. And uh, I was like, wow, this is fascinating to me. So yes. it goes beyond, in, in writing the Fireball Ford scenario books for us, it goes beyond just putting out a scenario book. It's a personal journey of investigation. And the, the scenario book is an expression of that. And the yes. fact that they're so well balanced shows how much care that we put into the research yeah yeah sure and again i think it comes back to that commemorating and recognizing the history yeah um of, of what actually happened because clearly none of us would actually like to be in that bucage right. uh, facing down a panther <laughs> coming down the lane towards us but yeah. history gives us that opportunity sorry wargaming gives us that opportunity um to at least in some small way appreciate just what went on during yeah. those moments of terror that these guys must have faced on a, on a almost daily basis um and I, I i keep referring back to little wars tv but during their review um or their review process they talk about the support for and, and that's an important thing uh yeah. for a set of rules and i know fireball forward is well supported still yeah. uh, uh 10 years up it, it's it wasn't written and forgotten about I thought, yeah. right i need to move on to the next thing <laughs> i know you're still active in that community aren't you and there's other yeah. people who are producing these um these scenario books and uh, there's the the uh, the Facebook groups and the uh, the, yeah. the other group. Is there an IO group or an IO group? Yeah, yeah. yeah group. That's 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 very active. The IO group. We have a lot of files there and ask questions. You can get it answered right away. Yeah, I was very pleased to hear there's France 1940 being worked yeah. on. Yeah, right? yeah. We had a guy. He again. He 
was gaming with us for a while. He thought, oh, this game is really fun. He wrote half a dozen scenarios, but then he ended up moving away somewhere he doesn't have gaming. Um, so a friend of ours is, is continuing it. He has all the minis, and I believe it's, you know, Stone, the Breakout at Sedan, the classic that we all want to game. Yes. You yeah, know, yeah. kind of thing. But, uh, you know, everyone loves using French tanks. <laughs> they look funny and they're they're cool. That's right, yeah. And I found a box. Um, I was having a saw through my uh, my lead. Oh, no, my pile of potential. That's what it's called now. Not a, a lead pile of shame. It's a pile of potential. Uh, very and positive I, of you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a positivity podcast. So, oh, okay. Um, uh, and a, 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 a box full of basically uh, early war French from Pendraken. Oh, nice. So uh, that is going to be my first fireball forward project. All right. Um, and it's well underway. I've got the um, early war Germans all ready to go with it. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to that. And I'll, I'll report back. Uh, okay. And you, and we can, you let, if you need some scenarios, I'll be happy to send you a few. Oh, that's fantastic. That's great. Thanks very much. But fireball forward isn't where it ends. No. Um, you, you have written other rules that have yes. been published um and in fact i said off air just before we started i've, I've literally just clicked uh um purchase on uh, fire at sea which is your world yes. war ii naval set and yes. there's a, a, a certain cowboy set of rules that's right ruthless that's right which uh we they all of these rules um they're very different but they all were trying to fit a need I think is what it comes down to. You know, I didn't just say, you know what, I like World War II naval because I feel, and this is not a dig at anyone, right? But I feel like some people write rules because they've been playing a set of rules for a long time and there's a couple things that bug them about the rules. So they write their own rules, which is basically just changing the things that they don't like, right? And so there's lots of rules that feel the same to me and I don't really care to do that. Um, Fire at Sea came about because of COVID, okay. right? Yeah. Which was um, we went to the last big war game, a miniature war game convention here in the states. It was two weeks before COVID shut everything down. Okay. So we showed up. <clears throat> and of course, it wouldn't keep me away, right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of people bailed on the convention, and I would say at least 35, 40% of the games got canceled. Oh, wow. But for whatever reason, the naval gamers are a hardy bunch. Maybe they've, you know, eaten a lot of oranges, keep the scurvy <laughs> away. You know, and they're like, we don't care about COVID. Yeah, sure. And so there were a lot of naval games. And so a buddy of mine, Alex Newhart, who's in some of the videos, he had never played World War II naval. <clears throat> and he goes, what is that like? And I said, like, well, sign up for one and I'll play it with you. So we played um, a game called Sea Krieg, which is a real old set of rules, and you track each shell that comes out of the ship. Okay. So it's a lot of bookkeeping, and it's old set of rules. And when it was over, he goes, oh, my God, my brain, is, that was really hard. That wasn't fun. And I was like, okay, well, it's a big simulation. Yeah, yeah. Then we played another game. It was um, General Quarters 3, which a lot of people like, and I, I like it. He goes, but it still was a bit much for him. There were too many ships on the table or whatever. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, it's a real shame because if you're just trying to get in the hobby and you have nothing, naval is an easy way in. You buy a blue cloth, you buy a few ships, and you can play. Good to go. And I was like, 
Yes, and I'd been talking to Greg at Little Wars about that issue with our hobby, like the buy-in, right? And so I saw Greg at the same convention. I was like, hey, how about if I do a video called The Battle of Denmark Straits for $35? It's got the hood. It's got the Bismarck, right? And it was showing someone, if you got 35 bucks, you can do it. He goes, that sounds great. And I was like, I'm into it. And then I looked around at rules, and there were no rules that I could buy that were $35 or less. So I was like, never mind the miniatures. Yeah. So I said, well, I'll write a free set of rules to people to play, which was just the Denmark straight rules. COVID hit, and uh, because it has a grid and it's just a few ships, we started playing it. Uh, in, on Discord, like I hung a webcam over my gaming table. Yeah, friends would join, and they had such a great time. They were like, "Can you write another scenario?" I was like, "Sure." So I started looking at the Germans, and then it just kind of grew out of that because that was an easy game for us to play um, through the webcam, and the guys really liked it. And that's so that was kind of an in- entry level game and a COVID kind of uh, friendly game. Friendly yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. And so we're developing um, Pacific. We've already done a bunch of Pacific scenarios. It's just I'm working so hard on the channel right now. It's going to take a little bit of time to get them out. But um, uh, we got all Java Sea scenarios done and a bunch of Guadalcanal and uh, the Japanese. Uh, well, great. I, I downloaded the, the free copy of the rules that you put out, and that's got the Denmark Straits scenario there. Right. But then I didn't have to investigate too much further to find this huge package of uh, rules, 16 scenarios, mini campaigns, (laughs) full color. I thought, my God, (laughs) where's this been in my life? Because World War II per se isn't uh, my first choice of period. And and naval being that sort of niche within the World War II gaming sphere, I suppose, even less so. But I can definitely get on board with a, a, a straightforward set of rules, which is how many pages of, of rules? Not, it's not many, is not it? Not many. Four or five. five four or five. Maybe. There you go. Four, yeah. Five, yeah. Uh, played on a grid, right. uh, which I'm used to. I play a lot of grid-based games, actually. Um, yeah. And so so that's not a difficult concept for me to get my head around. Um so yeah, I'm I'm in on that. I'll be printing off uh, some top-down ships and taking that down the club <laughs> awesome. very quickly. That's great. So, I mean, I, I you know I think it also filled the need because there were no kind of entry level naval games. Yeah, right? I don't want like, to be counting individual right. shells out of a big right. gun. And also the thing here's the I think something that none of the other games have that we have. These ships, although they are very mechanical, they have a crew and they have a captain. And when you read about these battles, that mattered. Right. right. All of these other games, these ships are essentially robots. Yeah. They fight till they're dead and they sink. And that didn't happen. In real battles, guys would pull out a line. They'd get confused. Um, so we added uh, we added that a very simple system where you're just managing your officers a little bit. Like, what do you want your officers to be focusing on shooting or damage control? And it has a huge impact on the game without complicating it too much. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I think the the video is great. I really enjoyed the video. Um, that whole process of you put putting the game together and then uh, and playing it out, it, it really spoke to me because that is a kind of naval game I could get with, where I don't need to know how thick the armor is on the right. Bismarck, um, but still have a fun game and 
no, I'm playing history. Um, and then Ruthless came Ruthless, out. Ruthless, Ruthless. So Ruthless, yeah. uh, Ruthless is interesting. Again, my friend Alex Newhart was involved in this uh, in a fun, funny way. I was at a convention, <clears throat> and there's a group called the Hawks, which are a group of gamers north of Baltimore, Maryland. And they had this idea, which was essentially Greg's travel game idea before Greg had it. Okay. And I got kind of shanghaied. They were like, hey, we're looking for people. Yeah, we're going to give you a box, small box, and everything for the game has to be in the box. The rules, the minis, the terrain, everything. And then you have to come to the convention and run it. Do you want to be in? And I was like, I don't know. And my friend Alex Newhart said, that sounds really fun. Let's do it. You'll do one. I'll do one. I'm like, okay. That would so be my reaction. Yeah, yep. that sounds fun. Uh, yeah. Well, I hope you're in that same reaction Alex had. So then I signed up, and then I was like, Alex, are you going to do it? He goes, uh, you know, I think I'm too busy. Like, oh, no, no. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> So I got home, and in my mind, I had this idea uh, to do a game where you're with Napoleon in Egypt in 1799, and you're one of his um, scientists that came looking for, like, the Rosetta Stone, and you have so a couple scientists and a bunch of uh, soldiers, and you go to explore, like, an ancient Egyptian tomb, and you get attacked by mummies. Right. Kind of you know, a little different. You sold, you sold me on it. Well. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just kind of fun. And my idea was that in the box, you had pieces of rooms. And as you moved from room to room in like the pyramid, you just changed the table. Right. And I was like, that'd be really fun. So I signed up. I got home two weeks after I got them, maybe even less, like a week. I got an email from the Hawks and they said, hey, we're going to sign up your game. What are you doing? And I looked around, I was like, oh, I just have an idea. I have no mummies. I have, what? You need this now? And I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do? So I looked yeah. around my vast collection, and I was like, what are some figures that I have that I love? The figures. But I've never had a game that I really liked. And I found all of these uh, gunfighters from the Britannia line, which I think oh, Grubby wow. Tanks does them, but they go back. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I saw them at a convention. I loved them. A lot of character in the in the minis. They had an OK Corral set, didn't they, um, specifically for, for the OK Corral? Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, I had yeah. Those. Yeah. They have a Clint Eastwood figure. And um, yeah. so I pulled those out, and I was like, you know, I bet I could do um, – a gunfight game hmm. and that's eventually what that's part of what became ruthless what and it was the idea of i was going to do a fistful of dollars with clint eastwood and three acts so it's three short gunfights and i could put everything in the box and then you just move them around depending on what scenario you pick and it goes from there and and it was the interesting thing about that was i said well i've never actually really researched historical western gunfights I mean, I've been to Tucson, but so I started reading them, and your average Western gunfight goes like this. Jim wants to get back at Bob the Cattle Baron, so the Cattle Baron walks down Main Street every day at noon. So Jim gets his buddies, they each get a shotgun, they hang out behind a wall, and when the Cattle Baron walks in front of them, they stand up and blow him away. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay. that's, not, that's going to be an awful quick scenario. Yeah, yeah. So I realized, It's like a 19th century drive-by shooting. Basically, yeah. And like Billy the Kid, who's uh, the gunfighter, that's all he kind of did. He would Shanghai people. He'd ambush them. Yeah. You know? And so one thing I thought of is, well, we all really want to be Clint Eastwood 
and have those kind of gunfights. Mm. So I went that route. And then I said, can it be okay just to let the gunfight be fast, but in an evening you play three of them and you tie them together? And that's kind of how Ruthless came out. And then I had a germ of an idea from a North London Wargamers. They had a, a website that came and went, but they had this kind of rules called a town call malice based on, I guess, the old jam song. Uh, oh, it was called, yeah. 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 Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they gave me some some ideas, and that became ruthless. So uh, we've had a lot of fun with it, and there'll be a lot more ruthless coming. But uh, right now, I'm uh, <laughs> a little busy. <laughs> I'm a little busy with everything. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that, the the um, the the tabletop western gunfight skirmish yeah. rules is a crowded space. Yeah. There's a lot of rules out there, but yeah. ruthless fits. Well, it, it it fits my eye because it's again about two pages, isn't it, or two or three right. pages? And I think um, that's that's also the trend of where rules are going. Yeah. You know, people. Yeah. When I was a kid, I don't know, back in the day, you know, <laughs> um, we would read. You know, like I taught myself squad leader when I was like in eighth grade, right? And oh, it was wow. a bad, it was a badge of honor for me. You, right? you were a clever I, kid. <laughs> clever kid, like I could learn this. Right. Yeah, I'm a nerd, but it's like, look what I could teach myself. Right. Yeah. People don't. It's different now. Right? Kids learn by computers. It's they learn very differently. It's mm. step by step. It's fed to them. And so I think rules are like that. No one wants to invest time to read 40 pages of rules anymore. Mm. If you if you haven't learned the game in 15 seconds with kids right. these days, yeah. uh, which is the average length of a TikTok video, I think right. you've lost them, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Or even older people, you know, it's like we can talk about this later, but I think that's what happens in our hobbies. People get stuck in amber. Yeah. They buy all the stuff to do a book or a set of rules. They paint it. They learn the rules. They teach their friends the rules. They're playing it. And then it's like, well, let's do something else. You're like, oh, my God, I can't go through that again. So they're playing, you know, the same rules for 30 years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, if you have a two two page set of rules you can kind of move around quicker and do do new things and experience new historical periods. Yeah, the that you don't feel as though that investment in time is quite as um important at that point because yeah. to learn two pages, well that's that's 15 minutes, but yeah. uh to learn a 40-page rule set, well you you're <laughs> flicking through that book all night, aren't you looking for <laughs> how do I move? <laughs> do right. I shoot yeah. first or move? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um so uh, any other rules on the horizon that yes, you wish to talk about? I do. I do. Uh, it's another one in the fire series called fire in the sky. I've run a bunch of uh, battles uh, from it at the uh, conventions here in the U S <clears throat> and it's air combat in world war two. Um, but it's not individual planes. So you're not sitting in a cockpit trying to upturn a one Oh nine or whatever. Uh, you have flights of planes or squadrons, and uh, it's a grid-based like fire at sea. So you can actually use fire at sea with it. You can, you know, planes can fly over and bomb things with fire at sea. And part of it was it, it came about again. We were in Normandy at the chateau one night in the Blue Coat battlefield, and my friend of mine said, "I have this great idea." that I'm going to run the Battle of Midway at the next big convention, but I'm going to use Check Your Six, or we're going to have every single plane. And I said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I, I helped write that game, and I can only fly, like, two planes a game. I mean, you're talking hundreds. He goes, well, there'll be a lot of people. I'm like, oh, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And I talked him out of it, but I did I didn't know why he wanted He had played this really cool double-blind midway game, and he really got jazzed by it. And I said, you know, it's unfortunate that there's not a really fun, you know, fire-at-sea kind of game where you can do the Battle of Midway. So I started developing fire-at-sea with Jonathan Miller again. And uh, we came up with something. I think it's really great. Again, you can do. Uh, it's it's like ruthless. Also, like I, I did. Um, I've been doing canal comp scenarios, which was the two weeks before the Battle of Britain. The Germans were going after the coastal convoys, and I pick like a day, <clears throat> and in one day, I think it was July 11th, they attacked this convoy three times. And so the scenario is three short battles trying to get to this convoy. Um, and you have every single plane that was there, which is cool. Wow. Yeah. Um, and what's really great about that is the visual. I use one 600 scale planes. There's three <laughs> planes on a base. And you look and you go, this is what a raid in the Battle of Britain looked like. you know. And you also see that, gee, the Brits didn't like, at this point in the war, they didn't like, come in with massive planes right yeah. like, like here you know the germans have all this stuff and here comes uh you know six six hurricanes you know and it's like wow they're you really get a sense of what the RAF was up against um, mm-hmm. anyway it's a really fun game everyone who played it they just kind of take to it right away and i think they have the same response that they have to fire at sea it's, like I don't want to fly a plane. I don't want to know what the turning radius of a 109 at 30,000 feet is compared to a Spitfire. Um, we're just doing big kind of narrative moves. Wow! So, so that's going to come out. When can we see it? Yeah, that's the question. <laughs> uh, so it's basically all the rules are written. They just need to be, you know, made into a nice format, and um, and then I'm going to probably come out. I'm not, it just. Maybe maybe Canal Conf will be the first group of scenarios. Um, probably next year. I mean, I need to get the channel going so I get a little breathing space uh, in that. But um. okay, well, that, that's a really professional segue there, Mark. It's like it's like you've been in the industry yeah. uh, for some time <laughs> because uh, you've mentioned a couple of times that you you. you time is a uh, resource that you're lacking because yeah. your efforts are going towards a YouTube channel. So yeah. let's talk about that. So right. um, clearly, uh, as I've mentioned, you, I, I first became aware of you through Little Wars TV um, mm-hmm. and your sort of side project called Mark's Gaming Room or right. Mark Game, Mark's Games Room. Mark's- Mark's Game Room. Yeah. Game Room. Game room yeah. So uh, t- tell me about the genesis of that. The Genesis, again, it's a, it was not an overnight thing. I, essentially, I know, two years ago, I guess, a friend of mine is like, how come Little Wars doesn't have any Fireball Forward videos? I was like, I don't know. And I was at a convention. I ran into Greg or one of his friends, and I was like, hey, would you guys ever do a Fireball Forward video? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, everyone wants us to do videos about their games, and this is really hard. It's a lot. We're kind of swamped. And I went, oh. And I said, you know, well, let's forget about that. I'm a TV producer. Maybe can I help you? Because I, you know, believe in what they're doing. And they were like, oh, really? Help? You want to help? I was like, yes. So that's how a friendship uh, with them developed, you know. And they've been very supportive of me. And I've tried to do whatever I can to help them. Um, And, you know, 
they've given me space to experiment with making videos, right? Yeah. It's um, they're like, yeah, put it up, we'll see how it does, and there's no expectation. You know, I'll say, hey, I want to do X. They say, okay, can you have it ready for this date? And I do. Um, it's been a lot of technical things I've had to solve. Because how do we translate? This is, for me, trying to figure out how do we translate what we do to an interesting show? Yeah. Um, Little Wars, a lot of their viewers, from what I understand, you know, it's people who just want to be part of a club that don't have a club. And I think that's great, for sure. And for me, also... Um, I mean, there's so many levels of why I'm doing this, but since we're talking about translating, when I'm around a table, there's two things going on. There's me and my buddies, and we're gaming, and we're making fun of each other, and we're talking about the history, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, really good-natured. But then my mind is also down in the board, and I'm I'm really in following. I'm with, like, that's Freddy with the machine gun holding that barn door. Oh, my God, he got up, right? You know, and I'm, I'm there. So yeah. there's, like, two things. And it's, like, I want to try to help people feel that at home, the drama mm -hmm. of our little men and the camaraderie and the history of what we're doing. And so I've been experimenting with that in a lot of interesting ways, and it's I've come a long way, I think. So it's going to get better and better as we go. And so really it was just, it started as a way to maybe help the Little Wars guys out. And then I got intrigued as to, well, I'm a TV producer. What does it really mean to produce this crazy hobby that I do? Yeah. And the more I did it, you know, I learned about YouTube. And the more I brought what I was learning <clears throat> with the Little Wars guys and what I was doing to my day job. Because I work for public broadcasting here. And they're, you know slowly kind of figuring out the digital world and the YouTube world. And they're not, no one there was teaching me about YouTube. So, I mean, I just got, not to toot my own horn, I got nominated for two more Emmys for stuff that I just did for PBS that really came out of what I was doing for Little Wars. Wow. Right? Well, congratulations. Because, well, thank you. You know, we'll see if I win. But if I wasn't doing this with Little Wars, I wouldn't have created that material in the way I did. Right, which is very YouTube friendly, accessible. And I think the people in my industry are seeing it and they're like, wow. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think I started realizing like, this is really interesting. And there's a freedom for me to create video for a wargaming community on YouTube that I don't have in my day job because in my day job, you know, there's multiple levels of review of everything you do. How do you pay for it? you got to raise a lot of money up front, so it's very slow to produce things. Yeah. Uh, if I'm doing YouTube videos for you know, the gaming community, I can just do it. I don't need that much money to start. I just got my skills and my wits. And, and so it's been a great freedom for me as a producer to be creative and realizing that I have an audience, that there are people that already know who I am, they yeah. like my stuff, and that maybe I could show what happens in my game with these, you know, we play games two or three times, we do all this kind of stuff, and invite people in, uh, and, and maybe move that way, right? So I'm 55, I'll be 56 in July. So what that means is every year, it's less important for me to keep my day job. 
Okay. And so hopefully if I've Mark's game room, if people really like it and success and I can eventually monetize it, then I can do that and not have to work at PBS anymore for the last yeah. few years of my career. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. the hope, right? We'll see. And, um, it's been really interesting. Like, what do I want to do? And a help people access the hobby for sure. You know, things like fire at sea, help them connect. But I think it's also to um, bring people into what we do. I think what Little Wars does is they go out to parks and they bring their games. So they try to bring gaming out to historical places and say, hey, look at what gaming is. Yeah. Well, I can't necessarily do that. I have a nine-year-old son. He's awesome. You've probably seen him in some of the videos, right? But, you know, it's hard for me to be traveling all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, I've started finding interesting people and seeing if I can convince them to come to my game room and share the hobby with us. And uh, that has been really fun and really cool. And we got a lot of some cool people lined up. I mentioned the son of George Laws. We have other people. And I hope as it grows, I can get more and more interesting people uh, to come in and enjoy the hobby with us, give us a unique perspective. Um, and I think it's an interesting way to grow the hobby, to be like, hey, what we do here is really cool. Join yeah. us and have this experience. Um, and then getting out to in a different way, I'm going to put a little plug here for July. I think we have this incredible Gettysburg series of videos coming. Oh, gosh. Because one of the things, right, we all love war movies. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of what I, I'm doing, I'm trying to tie to our famous war movies because it's what it what it's what gets us right. Mm. And this is the 30th anniversary of the movie Gettysburg. That's right. So there's yeah, all yeah. all kinds of stuff going on with that. And you're all going to remember a scene where General Hood and Longstreet are standing in that little round top, and Hood goes, "I can't attack. They'll just roll rocks down on me." And Longstreet says, the general commanding will not change his orders. you got to attack. you got to take that hill, Sam. I do this under protest, right? <clears throat> and at the end... That's a great Tom it. Barringer, by the way. It, yeah, it was great. Awesome beard. Uh, uh, and at the end, Hood is wounded, and he goes, I should have gone. You should have let me go around to the right. right. And so, it's you know, I hear gamers talking about that. Should have gone around a little round top, you know. Well, so I said... How would that have worked? What if Hood had gone around the round tops? So the the video, it's, a, it's two parts, two videos. The first video, I hooked up with Eric Lindblade, who does the Battle of Gettysburg podcast, is a licensed guide. And I went out there, just me and him one day, and I was like, Eric, how would Hood have gone around the round tops? And he knew all the roads that existed at the time of the battle. And he had an 1859 map. And we said, okay, where did he start at 3 o'clock? And we went there, and we looked at all his options. Like, he could have marched this way. He could have marched that way. He had ammunition wagons. He had ambulances. He had artillery. He had four brigades, artillery, uh, brigades of infantry. Any time during his marching that he could see Little Round Top, they could see him, and there's a signal station. They would have found him out. So we realized there was, like, two ways to go. And we kind of traveled them both. We looked at all the options. And so then I went back. I plotted it all out. I went back with four of my friends. Two of them 
our hoods and his staff. The other two is Meade. We put Meade at his headquarters building on the battlefield. And I got all of the actual traffic, message traffic that he got from Little Round Top off of uh, the official records. And then Hood and his and his buddy are where they start at three o'clock. And I gave them the 1859 map. And I said, your orders have changed. You need to move around the Round Top. You have artillery, you have all this stuff. And we had the guide with him. And we said, what are your orders? Where do you go? This is what you could see. And, it was, and we gave them options. We said, there is one battalion of cavalry that you can bring, but it's going to take a half hour to get here. They could scout, but you're going to start a half hour later. They had to make choices. They made a choice. Then we got in the car, and we would drive to where they had to make another choice. And I had a drone that followed the car. I put cameras in the car so they could talk about what they were talking about. They get to the next place. They have to make a choice. We rolled some dice for delay. And, they, and while they're doing that, if they're getting seen, we wrote a new order or a new message from Little Roundtop. We mixed it into historical messages to our guy, to Mead. And we're like, you're getting this message. What orders are you giving? And they were doing it. So basically, at the end of the day, they all met because Hood had made it around Little Roundtop. He's in position to attack. This is where the Union Army is. This is where you are. This is what time it is. You're going to launch your attack. Meet us next week when we put it on the tabletop and we game out the attack. It's I I we had so wow. much fun. We wow. had so much fun doing it. Yeah. It was the coolest thing, and we're gonna film it a uh, week after next. And uh, Eric Limblade's coming down, and we have this huge custom built Gettysburg board. To oh, see. listen, I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll be on a flight over. No problem. <laughs> okay, you're here. Yeah, yeah, we'll fit you in. <laughs> Well, I, t- I tell you what, you talk about the 30th anniversary of uh, of the film. That would be a very different film, wouldn't it? If yeah. That had happened. Yeah. Jeff Daniels wouldn't be quite the character <laughs> he played, I don't think. Chamberlain may, yeah. may have been, uh, had his flank turned at that point, I guess. So, I mean, I think we're just trying, I think the channel is inspiring us to just try cool stuff to get us out of our shell. Yeah. And try new things. So it's trying to look at gaming in a different way, invite people to come along with us on some crazy ideas, and invite really interesting people into my room yeah. to play games with us. And, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. And we got some really fun stuff to start and see how it keeps going. You know? well, the obvious question is what scale, what rules are you using for that game? For that game, it's six millimeter. Okay. Right, because it's uh, and we're using what we call Age of Lincoln, which is a one-page addition to Age of Hannibal, which is uh, oh, kind of weird, right? But yeah, yeah. Um, we play Age of Hannibal, which is Greg's game, and we really yeah. enjoy it. And I kept saying to my friends, I'm like, you know, this would transfer to a brigade-level Civil War game pretty well. Yeah. And um, we we just a one-page. This is how you play it as Civil War. And that's what we're doing, and it plays I, I, quick and fun. I was not. I was. I, for some reason, I thought you were going to say Age of Eagles, the um, <laughs> no. the Fire and Fury version of uh, Napoleonic Fire and Fury, but that, yeah. it, that intrigues me. That really does intrigue me. Well, we'll put that. It's going to be a, just a free one pager. We're going to yeah. put out for everyone to play. But, uh, that, that sounds absolutely incredible. And C- Civil War is. We have, we have a. Um, a TV show over here called Mastermind, where uh-huh. um, 
it's a quiz show. Well, not really. Yeah, it's sort of a quiz show. So um, people will go on to the show uh, very knowledgeable in one subject and they'll sit in this black chair and the lights shone onto them and they have two minutes on their chosen specialist subject. Yeah. So that's the first round. The second round is a general knowledge thing. But I always said my uh, chosen specialist subject would be Gettysburg. Yeah. Um, and I, w- one of my fondest memories of of recording this podcast was having Tony and Greg on to talk uh-huh. about Gettysburg and the, and was was Gettysburg the price that the South paid for having General Lee? That, right. that was the, the the question. And the round tops issue at what, what time that attack went in was uh, one of the big questions. Um, so if if it had gone in earlier, would it have been a different result? Um, was Longstreet at fault? That kind of thing. So that that video that you, you're working on is right up my street. I right. cannot wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. Right. Well, well, July, if I can get it all edited in time. <laughs> so um, wargaming and television, then as mm-hmm. and we'll we'll call YouTube television. Um, is is, a, is an interesting one because I think sometimes we consider it perhaps not the greatest spectator sport uh, right. to, to sit and watch people moving figures around on the table. But to add that extra context and that extra um, element where you've, you've got the history and then the counterfactual part of it, that, that really right. brings an added interest into it. Um, do you think that this could do you think wargaming is something that could ever appear on something like pbs i doubt it <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> i mean i tend to doubt it i mean i think it would take some kind of personality right like if um, you know ken burns was going to play gettysburg maybe something yeah. like that you know uh, i think it seems like it's too niche yeah um it's 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 just too niche, I think. Are you aware of um, the seventies TV show in the UK that had wargaming? As I I think I've seen some pictures of it somewhere. Yeah. It's on YouTube. Yeah. It's on YouTube. Uh-huh. It was called yeah. Battleground, um, where Peter Gilder uh, played out several yeah. historical battles, and there was a TV, a big TV personality who who, who sort of fronted that called edward woodward right um who was who played callan and equalizer yeah um uh and it that that was lost for many many years uh pre-youtube mm-hmm. there was rumors that people have got vhs or betamax tape copies of this show but um it did eventually surface onto youtube and it is fast i mean for a start, it's this. It's the mid seventies, so the fashion is way out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, but uh, it's Peter Gilder figures on Peter Gilder terrain. Um, yeah. Duncan McFarlane, who was one of who was the editor of War Games Illustrated for many years, uh, he he was one of the players on it. Uh, they did Gettysburg, Edge Hill, uh, can't remember the uh, Waterloo, um, and. I mean that was that was a great snapshot of history, and it, that was broadcast on it was it was local TV, so yeah. um, or regional TV, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I've always wondered whether or not it would translate into something bigger. And the UK actually a couple of years ago had a show with model railway enthusiasts, mm-hmm. and they were set tasks each week 
each week to build a, a certain setup or a bit of scenery or to make um make a landscape for the model railways and i thought if if we can get model railways onto mainstream right, TV, right. come on if every, if people play call of duty on, on the <laughs> xbox so there must be interest but yeah i guess i guess finding that audience yeah, different. and making it relatable, right, to a big audience. I, I listen to the podcast. We have ways of making you talk yeah. with um, James Holland and Al Murray, and they've done some wargaming episodes. Yeah. And um, before they had the wargaming episodes, I would listen to the podcast. They'd do, like, viewer questions, and I would see some comments on Twitter. And I was like, you know, the wargame community was, like, screaming out to them. Yes. Like, look at us! Look <laughs> at us! Please! Where are you? And yeah. Al Murray always seemed to be, oh, this is cool. These people are interesting. Mm. And James Holland was always nice, but it seemed like he didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. He would just be like, I don't know. And then Paul Hicks did those two miniatures of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. They're but James Holland's response was, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I, he, he doesn't. And I think um, it's, it's just not relatable in some respects, which is why – you know, I'm trying to bring people into my game room a little bit mm. to kind of show the camaraderie and what it's like. And I think, you know, at least when talking about my channel and something bigger, it's going to be a process yeah. of figuring it out. Like, how do I make the videos more engaging? How do I do them quicker? What What reaches people? And that takes a little bit of time and you know, the videos have already changed since when I started. So if we stick with it and you stick with me, you know, we'll see what they look like in a year or two. But hopefully they'll, they'll change. I, I want to get on to actually just uh, talking a little bit about you, you, your professional career, because that fascinates mm-hmm. me. Um, and obviously you tra- there's transferable skills there that you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talk about wargaming being a niche. And mm-hmm. to a certain extent, historical wargaming as a niche within that niche yeah and we talked off air before we started this that you listened to an interesting discussion through midwinter minis yeah uh who right. are a youtube channel um known mainly for uh painting tutorials and scenery building tutorials but they've just released an episode that's piqued that's, your interest doesn't they mark yeah this morning actually i was out uh doing my morning walk listening to one of your podcasts preparing for today and my phone dinged with midwinter minis had a new episode i don't i'm going to paraphrase the title but it was basically like what's bad about historical miniatures and i was like oh there's some clickbait title yeah um so i came home and watched it right and it's their first video they did about historical miniatures and they paint um bolt action tanks an m4 sherman and a panzer IV. um they just kind of they don't go super detailed into painting it but they show you how they do it and guy spends a lot of time ruminating on why he has you know there's a lot of gamers for 40k but not as much for bolt action and it's interesting he says he thinks the game bolt action is much better than 40k I'd agree with them with that. Yeah, me too. Um, but yet still, there's um, not as many gamers. And he he came down to, in his mind, he said, well, maybe no one wants to play the Nazis. It's too close. Yeah. He goes, I, I've had my grandfather serve in the RAF. 
who wants to play Nazis? You know, it's just morally questionable, you know, philosophy and everything else. And that's kind of where he left it. Um, and I thought that's interesting, you know, because he's not a historical gamer. It's his first kind of look at it. And um, I immediately thought about the video I did with George Laws. And it's like, yes, but that game was not about Nazis for us. That game was about remembering his dad. And I think historical gaming can do many things, right? And yes, there's you're going to look at, well, should you play the Nazis? Well, I mean, we're, we're using this as a vehicle to explore history to write scenario books, to understand what happened. And you can't understand what happened if you don't play one side. So um, does playing Nazis keep people away? I don't know. Uh, but I think that I think gaming is just more than that. Right. And I think that if Guy spent some time gaming with us, he might see how much depth it can give you into history, you know? I mean, I think guys, his channel's great. I love his work. My son loves his videos. Um, we're, we're going to the UK in the end of July, and I'm going to reach out to guys to see if Charlie can go visit him because Charlie oh, painted cool. some space marines, which would be great. But, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was a really interesting video for him to yeah. put out and yeah. to bring up those topics. Um, so I think... Uh, as a, I, I saw the the videos come up into my feed, but I've not watched it yet. But um, there's uh, there's a wealth of comments that are coming into my brain, uh, and uh, not in a negative sense towards Guy at all. Um, but it's it frustrates me a little bit that people will. Um, ignore historical wargaming i think to a certain extent historical wargaming still has an anorak wrapped around mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. far more than the fantasy science fiction side of the hobby does mm -hmm. um because youtube is is it must be a hundred to one channels uh, in favor of 40k as opposed to historical wargaming it's got to be mm -hmm. it's just incredible and games workshop is the biggest business in the hobby it, it it's you know 10 times the size of the rest of the hobby put together you know, it's a billion dollar industry um and so they have a, a captive audience but i think when you put forward an argument around politics and concern about the ethics of playing historical wargaming I, I, it kind of loses the argument for me because well 40k is a pretty grim it's well, grim it's yeah. called grim and dark isn't it it's right a grim dark future <laughs> uh it's pretty miserable you know this the a thousand acolytes of the emperor slaughtered every day just to keep the emperor alive i, I think that's about right I'm, i might be slightly wrong on that but also historical wargaming is far wider than bolt action right um we've got the entirety of human history to yeah. look at yeah. And, and yes war is grim and but i don't think any war gamers are warmongers i don't think we all revel in the fact that uh no you know we're, we're killing toy right. soldiers on the tabletop it's it's far more uh it's far, far more uh educational and uh and uh, nuanced than that right. i think I um think so. but 
yeah, that, if you reach out, that, that'd be an interesting one, I think, to get Guy to have a look and just see what the possibilities of historical wargaming are beyond painting yeah. a, one tank for bolt action. Um, and and maybe... Well, he said if people wanted, he'd paint the Band of Brothers box set. So I'm like, yes, <laughs> paint the Band of Brothers box set. <laughs> Especially if you do a George Lutz. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. yeah, that'd be great, That's wouldn't it? it? Yeah, no. So I'll, I'll watch that. I'll put a link up in the show notes because I am I am a fan of of Guy's work. Um, and there is an untapped for me. There's an untapped audience out there of people who get the concept of playing with toy soldiers and rolling dice. Right. It's not much of a leap, I don't think, to move into the historical side of the hobby. And my my club is is testament to that because we've got young guys at the club who started on 40k and then. And now playing yeah. bolt action and playing other other uh, other um games so that that's uh that's going to be an interesting discussion and i suspect the comments on that channel may be uh, quite an interesting read <laughs> <laughs> following that video <laughs> yeah he doesn't know what he, what he got himself into but. no absolutely um so yeah let's just touch a little bit then on your professional life mark sure. because yeah. you are an award-winning film tv producer um and again, uh, prior to the start of the show, I talked about Jeremiah, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the story about um, a Vietnam uh, veteran, war right. veteran who was captured and stayed at the Hanoi Hilton um, yeah. for several years and then uh, came back and, and led a very productive uh, public life, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when when did that journey start for you? And... How did you get round to the point where you were making films like Jeremiah or The Lost Battalion? Well, I, you know, I spent at PBS at that point for, gee, I don't know, 17 years, 18 years, something like that. And <clears throat> had done several history topic type of shows. And this opportunity just came up and I was in the right place at the right time. And someone said, hey, maybe Mark should do this because I was, you know, Living here in D.C., and Denton became a senator, American you know, senator at the end of his life. And so a lot of the people that were associated with him were around here. And so it literally just fell out. I got an email one day, and it said Jeremiah Denton was the title, and I read it. And it was the head of uh, one of the PBS affiliates, and they asked me to do the show. <clears throat> And um, I said, okay, yeah, sure. And originally they just said, we just want a, like a short half hour thing that we can run on Sundays. Like, okay. And unfortunately, you know, Denton had just died. So that's why they wanted this. And I realized, <clears throat> I started doing research and I realized that one of his sons lived like four blocks from where I was working. So I reached out to the son And I had long conversations with him over coffee and said, you know, I want to do your dad justice because his dad later in life, right, he became a a very kind of uh, to the right wing. And so, you know, off-putting to people who weren't of that political persuasion. And I, you know, PBS is known to be very moderate down the center. And I said to his son, you know, your dad his life and what he went through has a lot to show us and teach us, but a lot of people aren't going to listen because 
later in life you became such a right-wing person. I said, but maybe you can help me understand the core of who he was, and we can all still benefit, and more people will listen. So his family got on board, and uh, because the dad had died in life, he was such a big personality, they kind of lived in his shadow and never got to say their piece. Um, because when he was locked up in the Hanoi Hilton for eight years, from 1964 to 1972, he had six kids. They ranged from 18 to 18 months. They had to grow up during the 60s without a dad. And so that was really tough for them. And they never got to say their piece. So when I met them and they and convinced them that I would treat their story with respect, they opened up and they kind of got their chance to sell, tell their side of the story and process the fact that their dad had passed away. Yeah. So it was very, a very powerful experience for me and them. And I think that comes through in the film, which is there's no narration. It's just all uh, their interviews. Um, and I also, uh, 10 miles from where I live, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, where Robert Shoemaker lived. He was the second guy ever shot down and imprisoned in Hanoi Hilton. And I was able to convince him to come on board. That was a bit tougher, but he he did it. And then he talked to more veterans and got them on board, which was um, George Coker and Jim Mulligan, who just passed away. And they shared cells with with uh, Denton in the Hanoi Hilton. So I was really able to hear what he was like in the worst of times and the best of times and put people in the Hanoi Hilton um, and the people open their hearts to me, and that comes across, and I feel like you get a sense of who this guy was. No matter what political persuasion you are, you can see um, what's strong, you know, what he he gives us as Americans. I would say, you know, um, just just for those that aren't aware, I'm, I'm sure there aren't many, but the Hanoi Hilton wasn't a five star. No. Hotel. Yeah. Hanoi Hilton was actually called Wallow Prison, and it was an old French colonial prison in downtown Hanoi that uh, the prisoners went to, and it was brutal. Um, Bob Shoemaker told me about a, a roommate or a cellmate he had that was taken out and killed. They were tortured. Um, but it got, at one point, in the beginning, the, the North Vietnamese didn't know how to handle these guys. And they were struggling, and that's why Denton had his famous moment where they dragged Denton out in front of an international camera as a Japanese reporter. And they, they had tortured Denton for three days. And at the end of the torture, they said, we're going to send you out in front of this reporter, and you better answer correctly. So, you know, he knew what that meant. Uh, but they still, they still didn't quite, you know, <laughs> have their act together. So they just sent him out there. And as this guy was interviewing Denton, he was blinking the whole time, and he was blinking in Morse code the word torture, and that was picked up here in the states. So I mean, he—I mean, give me a break. He's in the middle of that. He's being tortured. He still has the frame of mind to resist. That's incredible, um, and that shows like how fierce of a resistor he was. So after a few years, the North Vietnamese had enough of Denton and people like him, so they rounded up him. 
and I want to say 11 other of the fiercest resistors, and they actually sent them to a worse prison. They, they, they called it Alcatraz. They were one to a cell. The cells were three feet wide, seven feet tall, and nine feet long. And they only had a 10-watt light bulb and a, a speaker for propaganda. And they would be locked in there for 23 and a half hours a day. And it was brutal. And they, uh, how they kept going was they developed a code where they could tap on the wall in code and talk back and forth. And when they could do that, they knew they weren't alone and they helped each other through it. Right. Mm-hmm. So. It's a great story, I, and yeah. you know, um, it's it's a real triumph of human spirit, isn't it? And God, God willing, nobody listening to this or anybody else uh, would ever have to go through that yeah. again. The, the the story that um, you tell with Jeremiah and his his resistance and. The, ability to keep resisting despite mm-hmm. everything that was happening to him um is it's a touching real moving story um and i have expressed this to you already but it, it was so nice that it wasn't an unhappy ending that stanton lived a full life <laughs> yeah. right. following his release uh in 72 mm-hmm. and went on to lead uh a, a successful public life um, but also, I think, as important as telling his story is for the children, as you've said, to tell their mm-hmm. story because they were left behind. They had eight years without it, the father. Um, and going through the 60s, all the civil rights changes and movements and all the all the change in society that was going on in the States at that time uh, must have been horrendous. And I know his wife um had a tough time but uh, yes, uh, uh the other other wives sort of rallied around didn't they mm-hmm. and and um did a lot of work uh behind the scenes and to keep jeremiah's name in the papers i think uh, yeah. as well as the other pow's yeah. so um it's it's a real honor actually mark to talk to you about that because um, i watched the documentary uh, a couple of weeks ago after i'd first reached out to you and I'll, I'll put a link up to it again in the show notes because i, I urged i urge anybody to watch that so that must have been in interestingly uh you said that some model making um yes <laughs> so uh at some point you have to put your viewer in the prison right how do you do that i'm Part of the prison still exists a little bit, but there was no way that PBS was going to fly me to Hanoi with a camera. There's no way. <laughs> not happening. No. Not happening. And so what, I was, what am I going to do? <clears throat> and, you know, in the video, I, I try to come up with like these three shot sequences. Like I'm not showing whole recreations because I just couldn't. So I tried to do these like three shot sequences to give people an idea and then they fill it in with their mind. But what am I going to do about the prison? And uh, my cinematographer was like, well, you know, in Maryland, there's this old prison. It's really scary looking. We could film there. So I went online. I looked at it. I goes, well, it doesn't look anything like the Hanoi Hilton. He goes, yeah, but it's scary. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going to have the second guy shot down in Vietnam in my show and then put the wrong prison. He'd kill me. Yeah, yeah. So I got pictures of the prison and I uh, went to a theater in D.C., 
the Folger Shakespeare Theater. They do a lot of big productions about Shakespeare. And I knew some people that worked there. And I said, can you hook me up with one of the people that designs your sets? Because they make models of sets. They said, sure. So I talked to them and I had these photos and um, I'm not that good at like, you know, building like buildings from scratch. But I talked to them and they built me this really cool hallway from the Hanoi Hilton. You, and it's historically accurate. Like every rivet, we're looking at the rivet. Nope, we got to put a rivet. The door had to open, had a window. So we built this 36-inch long, 18-inch tall hallway that was in the prison. And then we were able to film it in different ways. Like, you know, we had a light outside the window, and it would go up and down day or night. We would sprinkle flocking from Wargaming, and, and it looked like <laughs> dust. And my favorite thing was there's a little window on the door where they would put food through, and we had it open. And in the background, someone had put down a can of Coca-Cola, which is red and white. And uh, the camera just happened to be on. And in the distance, it was just a blurry uh, white and red lines. And then I said, oh, move that can. It's in the shot. And the person picked it up and moved it. And the prison clothes that the guys wore were red and white stripes. So when they moved it, it looked like there was a prisoner walking. I was like, wait, wait, do that again. And it was awesome. Hold that moment. Hold that moment. So that was a direct, you know, quote of wargaming. Yes. And uh, the greatest compliment I got was we premiered the, the video at the Navy Memorial here in Washington, D.C., right downtown D.C., a big venue the ceo of the navy was there and the whole front row were veterans that had been in the hanoi hilton and at the end i did question and answers and um, one of the veterans first question was when did you film in hanoi oh wow (laughs) (laughs) and i said i didn't that was all uh, they were like wow you fooled out we thought it was the real thing how incredible that is amazing yeah it's um the american history is is a big passion of mine um and uh in in particular the 60s and and the the social economic political situation in the states at that time as well as vietnam and uh well you, you can't you can't ignore vietnam if you're interested in any of the, those things and yeah, it really touched me uh, that, that that documentary did so uh, so well done. I've I've not watched the Lost Battalion yet, but okay. uh, it's it's on the it's on the playlist. Sorry, uh, so that's coming. <laughs> that uh, different, different thing altogether. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But you're up for two more Emmys. You, you said I am. Yeah, they're for these shorter pieces for PBS. Um, we found out there was a hole for fourth grade history curriculum videos. The teachers are like, we don't have any stuff for fourth graders. So one thing we do is educational stuff. And so they came to me and they're like, this was during COVID. They're like, Mark, we need this for people who are stuck at home. And, um, you know, I just developed for fourth graders. They like YouTube. So they're very YouTube-y. One's on Jesse Owens when he raced against Hitler. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one that we got nominated for was about Muscle Shoals, Alabama, which was a recording studio where the Rolling Stones recorded wild horses and a few things like that. So, yeah, they're short. They're like six minutes. 
they're very YouTube, very kid friendly, and um, I don't, it's like I don't think PBS has seen many things like it, so we're okay. pretty proud of that. And, and when when is the uh, award ceremony? When will you find June, out? June seventeenth. June seventeenth. Um, you may or may not be aware of this, but I was nominated for a Caesar Award. Oh yeah, uh, it's excellent. And I excellent. I didn't win, oh, so no. I had to practice my my face of being disappointed uh, <laughs> nobody filmed my reaction but uh so if you need any tips should you not win i'm sure you will win uh, I, i'm your man <laughs> all right thank you all right we'll get you in next year yeah cheers yeah okay mark that's been an absolute wonderful uh, journey through your wargaming and professional life and how the two have intertwined um any guest that comes onto the show, I do ask two questions. Uh, the very simple questions, and the first one is easier than the second. But the first one is, uh, you uh, you agree to come back onto the show at some point in the future? Oh, absolutely! This was great. Yeah, was great. I've, I've really enjoyed it, Mark. And the second is that uh, we have the God's Own Scale virtual library, uh, and I do ask any guest to deposit one or more books that might be uh, of interest to listeners uh, on, onto the shelves so they can uh, check them out and, and, and see what's going on. So have you got anything for us, Mark? I do. I, I've been thinking about this since you suggested because there's just so many books. And there's just one. It's actually a series of three books. And the reason I, um, I'm going to suggest it is because I thought I would give the first one a try and I couldn't stop reading. And when it was done, I was like, I can't believe I'm done. There's no more. It was that good. I love it's, books. Uh, yeah, Ian Toll is the author. And he did a series of books about the Pacific War. The first is called Pacific Crucible, then The Conquering Tide, then Twilight of the Gods. It takes you through the Pacific War, um, mainly you know, from the American perspective, but what was really fantastic about it, besides the writing is good, is he kind of looks at it from the perspective of 2020. You know, all these narratives that we have, whatever it is, Normandy, you know, Barbarossa, Battle of Britain, right? There's a narrative, and we all say this is the narrative, right? Hitler stopped bombing the airfields, and that he lost the Battle of Britain, you know, whatever. But as time goes on, we are interested in other things and looking at other things, thinking about things differently. And that's what Ian Toll did. I know tons about the Pacific War. And I read this book. I felt like I was reading it for the very first time. Gosh. Because of the things he focused on. And he gives you a perspective of Japan and like why it had this rise of fascism. And, and also from an American perspective, right? Most Americans think the Pacific War starts on December 7th, 1941. Yeah, and Ian Toll, yeah, day of infamy. But Ian Toll, I think he sets it up as like, you know what, December seventh, nineteen forty one, was the last desperate roll of the dice for a desperate Japan. It was really the end of the war because they had been fighting in China, yeah, and they were stuck and they couldn't get out and they didn't know what to do. And this was like, we're just going to take this totally crazy risk and see what happens, and that blew my mind and uh, so i if you go to the beach and you got a week or something bring those three books i just couldn't put them down they're great 
Well, I'll, I'll be on to Amazon after this call, <laughs> Mark, <laughs> and, and getting those. Uh, so uh, thanks for that. They will sit uh, proudly on the shelves of the God's Own Scale Virtual Library. So um, Mark's Games Room launching. Have we got a date? Of course, D-Day, June wow, 6th, of course. June of 6th course. 2023. We're going to launch. Uh, we're going to have, <clears throat> my hope is, three or four videos uh, up when it launches. So you got a little bit to chew into. And then one a week after that, uh, see how long I can keep that up. And then I'm, we're aiming, so it'd be all Normandy stuff in June, all Gettysburg stuff in July. Then we're going to have a like Greek history month. Uh, the Little Wars guys are coming down here. It's going to be our guys versus them, Battle of Thermopylae. Oh, wow. The that clash of the uh, YouTube greats. <laughs> yeah, we're looking forward to that. And um, oh, a bunch of other stuff. So many things that yeah. you know, I'm trying to keep straight. But um yeah, please, if you're listening to this, we're going to have a great time. We're going to have a lot of great content. I'd love your support. Um, if down the road I can make this support my life, I can just do this full time and give you all kinds of great content. And I would, I'm would, really hoping that can happen. So. Sign me up, Mark. Sign me up. I'll, I'll be the first there in the queue. Um, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to speak to you. And for you to give up your time like this, I'm, I'm truly grateful. So um, I wish you all the best with yeah. Mark's Games Room and uh, your professional work as it continues and, and the Emmys. Yeah. Uh, I'll be rooting for you. Uh, Thank, you. Thank you. Uh, and uh, I really hope to catch up with you at some point in the future. I do too. Thank you. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. It's a long way to Tipperary. It's a long way to go. It's a long way to Tipperary. I really hope you enjoyed the chat with Mark as much as I did. I can't wait to see what he does with this channel and I'll post up a link as soon as I get one. This section of the show is for me to talk about my own hobby projects and maybe also the odd soapbox moment, so watch out for that in forthcoming shows. The last few weeks have seen me finish off, for now, my Mexican Revolution figures for Peter Pig's Fighting for Mexico rules. I've really loved my deep dive into this period of history which I knew nothing about previously and it's honestly one of the most fascinating I've read about. I mean, what's not to love about a ten-year internecine war with colourful characters, very few of whom make it out alive, and that still has ramifications for the nation to this day? And I am hoping to entice Martin onto the Martin Goddard onto the show uh, to talk about both this period and his other endeavours with Peter Pig. With my return to painting, I've also been working on the American War of Independence in two scales, 15 mil and 10 mil. Now, this is madness, I realise, but the 15mm is for my Peter Pig collection, using their wonderful Washington's Army rules. As well as loving this game and collection, it does allow me to take an army down to Weymouth for Battle Days and the Weymouth War Games Weekender, more of which later in the year. On top of that, the 10mm collection is from Pendraken uh, for the Live Free or Die rules from Little Wars TV, 
which I'll talk about more in the next episode with one of the co-authors, Tom McKinney. I've brought enough figures for the Battle of Hobkirk's Hill, which I've now nearly finished, so hopefully in the next few weeks or so I'll be having my first game of Live Free or Die. It has been pointed out to me that I could have used my 15mm figures to play most of the battles in the Live Free or Die scenario book, but what can I say? I'm a wargamer and I like many different ranges of figures from many different manufacturers. Plus it's my hobby that I do my way. There's no one way of participating in this hobby of ours. Sure, one person's idea of what is right or correct or trendy, whatever that means, is fine and valid. But that's just their opinion and not to be enforced upon others. I do sigh a little when people across social media post comments that certain sets of rules are rubbish or a range of figures aren't historically correct. They always seem to forget to add the caveat, in my opinion, uh, almost stating their opinion as fact. If you wish to play a Western skirmish in 6mm using individually based figures on a tray on your lap whilst watching TV using a set of rules written in 1968, great. Tell me about it. Show me pictures. I'm interested and curious about anyone's approach to this hobby. It does feel like sometimes there is a ubiquity within the hobby where certain sets of rules or figure ranges get 95% of the attention, certainly on YouTube, but also at shows and on blogs. I want to hear about your 25mm minifig Napoleonics painted in shiny enamels. Or how great a set of rules is that you've found for free somewhere in a dark corner of the internet. Yes, the hobby is a broad church and there's room for us all. Okay, uh, thanks for listening and thank you for your continued support. It means a lot to me. I'm off to rebase some 1-300th Herakes and Ross American Civil War figures painted close on 50 years ago. As ever, stay safe, play nice and keep talking about this wonderful hobby of ours that is wargaming. Brother Bertie went away to do his bit the other day with the smile on his lips and his left hand and fixed upon his shoulder bright and gay as the train moved out he said remember me to all the birds then he wagged his paw and went away to war, shouting out these pathetic words. Goodbye, goodbye, oh I'm a dear baby dear from your eye. Though we pass to pass, I know, I know, I'll be sick of the death, don't cry, don't cry. There's a silver lining in the sky Oh, my old thing, kill your chin, 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 na, boo, too, blue, goodbye At the concert, down at the queue Some convalescents dressed in blue At the here, Lady Lee, who had turned 83 Sing all the old, old songs she knew Then she made a speech and said I look upon you boys with pride And for what you've done I'm going to kiss each one Then they all grab their sticks and cry Goodbye, goodbye Oh, and the dear baby dear from your eye Though it's hard to pass I know, I know I'll be Because the death to go Don't cry, don't cry There's a silver lining in the sky But my
was the prisoner of war. In the hand with the gun called his pink dog for fun, and fairly punched him on the door. Right across the barbed wire fence, the German dropped then a dear, oh dear. All the wire gave away and Paddy yelled, hooray, as he ran for the Dutch frontier. Goodbye, goodbye, a wife for dear, baby, dear, from your eyes. Though it's hard to pass, I know, I know, I'll be tickled and it's a go, don't cry, don't cry. I haven't pressed record. Uh, there we go. Um, and then we have to tell each other the same old jokes again. And right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite as good. But uh, where, whereabouts in the States are you, Mark? Um, I live basically just outside of Washington, D.C. It's okay. Virginia, but it's right across the river from D.C. Yeah, over the Potomac, so, is that? Yeah, right across the Potomac and right in the heart of all kinds of uh, American Civil War battlefields. Man, I've, yeah. I've, I've spoke to the guys, uh, well, Greg and um, Miles specifically about mm. getting over there. I've, I've, I've been to the States, but I've never done the battlefield tours mm. and, and Gettysburg and Tita, yeah. you know, all these kind. These are uh, names that have resonated with me for 30 plus years. Well, wow. since Ken Burns's documentary, mm -hmm. when that first aired in the UK in... Oh, gosh, 89, 90, 91, yeah. something like that. I can't quite remember when it was first released. but Well, that's what got me into doing film. Really? Watching that show. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was just so powerful. And at the time, I was in grad school studying history, and I had gotten an undergraduate degree in photography. Yeah. And somehow I watched his show, and I was like, oh, they use cameras. They study history. I can do that. And yeah, yeah. That started it for me. Yeah. They seem to have done pretty well since then. I made, I made my way. I made my you way. You made your way. That, yeah. I, I know I messaged you about Jeremiah, but um, what an incredible story. It, it was one that I wasn't familiar with, um, but what incredible. I'm so, so glad it was a ha happy ending. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because sometimes you can watch these things and you think, oh, no, something terrible is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's going to be quite a, a sad, sad, sad end to the story. But I thought, yeah. what, a, what a fantastic guy that, that man was. Yeah, he was. It was a chance of a lifetime to make that show. Um, yeah. Uh, luckily, I was able to convince his children to participate, right? Because he had passed away, um, I don't know, 10 months before they asked me to make the show, right? Wow. And um, I said, well, how am I going to get close to the man? Because they kind of wanted a biopic, right? That sense of yeah. who he was. And I said, well, his kids are still alive and they're a reflection of him and... Uh, I found them. I found the several of the veterans that shared a cell with him in Hanoi, and um, went from there. It was it was a, it was great, especially with the kids because he was such a big character, right? Yeah. In life, that they never got to say their piece about what it all meant because he would kind of hog the limelight, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he passed away, and they had never, as a family, talked about what it meant to them. 
And I was the first person I said, hey, would you tell me? And, yeah. uh, and they did. So it was really powerful um, for all of us to do that, that show. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, uh, that sends uh, shivers up my spine, actually. You saying that because um, when you've got somebody who is such a large character in your family, particularly as a parent, uh, you can often live in the shadow of that, can't you, I think? Um, And for them to have that opportunity to go on camera, and each one of them had their part in that show, didn't they? That um, their own experiences of growing up uh, and the memories of him as a father and missing him for all those years and then the life he had when he came back you know he didn't fade into the background did he, no, he, wasn't... he did <laughs> wasn't that kind of guy no no he, he certainly he seems as though he certainly lived life to the full and and uh, made the most of what was a terrible situation mm-hmm. uh so yeah congratulations that was that was absolutely incredible um uh so, so we'll we'll follow the um the sort of schedule that I sent through to you. Got it, yeah. If that's all right. Um, I've checked, I used to do the traditional sort of hobby introduction where you talk about playing with FX soldiers and yeah. uh, rolling around on the floor and throwing dirt bombs at your toys. <laughs> but um, I think I think people of a certain age, as we are, that uh, it's a very similar story. So uh, rather than uh, follow that usual trope, then we'll, we'll do this sort of first, last and everything uh, war game, if that's all right. Yeah, um, sounds great. Uh, and then uh, sort of move on from there. It really is your program or your episode. Mm-hmm. This is though, Mark. So um, the principal reason for me reaching out was to publicize your YouTube channel. Well, thank you. Um, I don't think it'll need an awful lot of work from me to for <laughs> the work to get out there because um, I know I know you're pretty well connected. But uh, over the over the pond this side, then right. if if we can get a few more viewers of that, then um, so one thing great. I want to put out there, Sean, that I think it'd be cool to talk about, and it would make this podcast. Um, more timely whatever it is this morning i got up and i was listening to your podcast right my phone dinged and it said hey midwinter minis has a new video and i just looked at the name and it said what's bad about historical miniatures ah yes and i was like what and so um i was like that's a clickbait title if i've ever seen hell yeah (laughs) and so i watched it right and it was really interesting and uh, my my son, Charlie, he's a fan of that channel. So I thought it would be kind of neat at some point to talk about that episode. And um, like let, it just let, came out today. And Yeah, yeah let's do that. It's, it's popped up into my feed as well. Uh, and I have not watched it yet. Um, I do follow the channel. Yeah. Uh, and, I, I, you know, it, Guy does some and great work to uh, simplify that mystical process that is throwing paint at figures, uh, which some of us conquer very quickly and others after 30 plus years never get right, like me. Um, but yeah, that that's a really interesting one. Um, and I, I recognized it as clickbait uh, yeah. because that tends to be the sort of thing that you see, I think, with those channels. Um, but I haven't clicked on it because I was a bit, scared of what my reaction would be to be honest so, yeah it's, uh, it's uh it's worth talking about basically just to, to really quick they paint two tanks a sherman and a mark IV. they talk a little bit about bolt action and his 
thesis, right, is why is 40K, does it get a lot more traction, a lot more viewers than historical? Yeah. And he doesn't know why, but he says, well, maybe it's because no one wants to play Nazis. Okay. Right. And he's like, you know, I had someone, my grandfather was in the war and I don't want to play mm-hmm. that. Maybe that's part of it, you know? So I think we can. Yeah. I would just but, like to talk about it a little bit. It's kind of let's cool. kick that ball around. Yeah. Shall I we? think that would be fun. Let's see where we go. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll sort of, we'll, we'll shut that in. Um, maybe uh, once we finish talking about your channel, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll go on to that and, uh, and, and, and see what happens. I'm certainly going to be watching it now we've finished this chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's funny is I became a Patreon like uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. Me too. And, um, Me too, funny he, enough, yeah. He, when it asked, like, what name do you want, it just said Mark Fastoso, but I wanted it to be Mark's Game Room. So I wrote him, and I was like, hey, can you please change my name on your list to Mark's Game Room? He goes, sure. So when you watch this video about historical gaming, the first person says Mark's Game Room. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Better be lucky than good. Better be yeah, lucky well, than good. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, and and then... I always round out the show with um, this this God's Own Scale library. You've got millions of books, as you uh-huh, millions, <laughs> have yeah. admitted to. So uh, uh, we'll just throw one in there. It's um, as as I said in the message. I think next to War Games figures and probably rule books mm-hmm. as well. Uh, uh, books on the show. I'm surround. I'm in my office here. I'm surrounded by books. It's uh, every war gamer loves a good book. So uh, uh, it's it's. It's been quite a popular um, yeah. segment of the show, actually. And a, a listener called uh, Charles Roundtree, who has done some fantastic uh, games over here uh, at the shows over the years, and he was a guest on a, a, an earlier show. He's curated all of the books from the episodes in, into a Google Drive document, so everybody with an Amazon link as well. Actually, oh, wow. uh, it's not an affiliate link. I don't get anything for that, but. Uh, um, uh, so it's 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 come quite a thing actually. So we'll 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 see how we go with it and um, and take it from there. I'm actually speaking. Um, my next interview is with uh, Tom from Little Wars TV. Oh, thanks, nice. uh, Tom. Yeah, um, because just before I finished recording back in October last year, uh, he he was the next guest, and then uh, ill health etc got in the way. Uh, so uh, yeah, I've got I've got Tom and maybe Greg coming back on, but Greg's been on three or three times at least. Yeah. So I, I don't want to give him any more airtime than he <laughs> Get to his head. Yeah, exactly. You're just back from Vicksburg. Were you at Vicksburg? Yeah, as well? I went with him. Okay, great. That's the last. When you asked me my last war game, it's a Vicksburg game that Greg built to bring down there oh yeah i followed that sort of uh, building this travel game so uh okay uh well i'll i'll uh, just let the timer tick over i I feel a bit of a fraud mark i mean you're you're a professional and i'm a complete amateur Thanks for that, mate. That was incredible. <laughs> I, I am not over-egging the pudding or blowing smoke where the sun doesn't shine, but that, that 
that Jeremiah film really touched me. Thank you. Um, it did. And um, I can tell it, it's obvious that it, it was a labour of love and, uh, you know, a lot of um, energy and compassion went in into the making of that. So uh, uh, I can't wait to watch The Lost Battalion. Um, All right. Just haven't found the time. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll be watching that and then... Uh, following your career closely actually because i don't think i've got any other emily emmy nominated people coming onto the show all right, all right, all right. <laughs> you're filling you're filling a void there so that's a little tick for me but um look i'll, I'll i'm going to try to get the show out around about the 27th 28th of may okay, uh, great. so there'll be a bit of a run into uh the launch of the youtube channel uh and i'll i'll just splash it over all of the uh, usual social media bits and i'll, I'll send a link uh, over to yourself as well so you can uh, maybe hit up some of your own social media uh uh outlets but um i uh, it looks like it's sunny over there for you mark is, is that... uh, it is it's kind of been going in all day but it's sunny yeah all right okay. <laughs> i've seen the sun move across the room as we've been talking <laughs> yeah. are those awards behind you by the way or oh yeah they are. They are. I, um... oh my gosh. I had to. I had to move them. I had to get to the outlet behind it. Those are a bunch of my Emmys. Uh, just, uh, just Sorry. a bunch of the Emmys. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. That's they, incredible. Um, I don't have. There's. I have. I'm not bragging. There's some more, and I have one that I keep down in my game room. Yeah. And it's an Emmy, and it was for best historical documentary for Jeremiah. Right. And uh, I keep it there because after the premiere at the Navy Memorial, his whole family was there, right? And it came down for a picture. And when it was over, one of his sons was standing there. <clears throat> and they kind of were dispersing, and uh, he came over to me, and he's like, you know, thanks again. I'm like, hey, you know, that was great. <clears throat> he goes, I want to give you this. And it was a bracelet, right? During the Vietnam War, they made these bracelets with the names of POWs, and he, it was a Jeremiah Denton bracelet because people would give them back to the family. Right. And he goes, we all want you to have this. And I'm like, oh, I can't man. take it. And he goes, no, we want you to have it. And man. to me, that was the greatest award. Yeah. Yeah. So I hung it on the Emmy. I put that in my game room and that. Uh, oh, my. Oh, my goodness. That's, that is that is a moment, isn't it? Gosh, you must be incredibly proud of that. I am. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm ready to move on to gaming videos, though. <laughs> <laughs> and meet yeah. people meet people like George Les Jr. That was a very yes. similar thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. What what an experience. Uh, Mark, I'm going to let you go. I'll thank All you right. once again. Can't wait for the can't wait for the channel to launch um very excited and i shall be uh taking fire at sea down to the club this week all so right I'll, I'll let you know how that goes got any questions just let me know cheers mark thank you very much for your time thank you sean cheers bye bye